0: Now the Sunday evenings, since we started, have been more, what I would say, teachy rather than preachy. We've been looking through a variety of different passages um, on Sunday evenings rather than than exposit a single text. And so it's been a lot more content being shared with not as much exhortation as perhaps is normal in the morning service where we we look at a, a text, we sustain the thought of that text and then give exhortation and application for that particular text. But tonight, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're, it's still going to be a lot of content coming at you, but we're going to be staying on one particular text, Romans five, twelve to 21. You can turn there in your Bible. I also have it printed here on the page for you, and so you can follow along. And so we're going to be looking at Romans five twenty-one, discussing how sin entered the world, what has been called original sin. Um, inherited sinful nature, inherited guilt. What are these things? How exactly does the fall of Adam relate to our standing before God? Is it just that that we, we inherit a corrupt nature, and then when we sin, we also deserve the wrath of God? Or is there other things that are imputed to us, or that we inherit as a result of Adam's sin? So we're going to look at tonight in this passage, how exactly is sin passed down? Uh, from generation to generation. What did Adam's sin cause as we see the fall of the human race? Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Romans 5, 12 to 21. And the way that I have it written there on your handout is the text of scripture exactly as it is in the English standard version. Although I have it kind of in a different format. This is a diagram of scripture, a flow diagram to help us understand the flow of this passage. And we're going to get into that in just a moment, but let me just read the text. And so we're familiar with what we're going to be looking at here tonight. Romans 5, starting in verse 12. So therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, it's now as we read that passage, there's a lot in there a lot of theology, a lot of content, a lot of contrast that that Paul is driving as he talks about Adam and him being a type of Christ and the imputation of Adam's sin and then the imputation of Christ's righteousness and his justification, how that all works. Okay, so we're going to go through this passage and the reason why it's written down on your page the way it is is to help us break this passage up into manageable parts. Okay, what is the main point of this passage? Now, before we look at those parts that I've divided the text up to help us, I just thought we'd, we just read this passage here, 12 to 21. It's always helpful to read the larger context. So I'm just going to read to you in Romans 5, verses 6 to 11 to see why Paul is getting into this discussion. He's got it there for in verse 5, verse 12, Romans five twelve. So why is he getting there? Let me read Romans 5, starting in verse 6, down to verse 11. And so the context getting up to verse number 12 is talking about how while we are still sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. And by his shedding of blood, by his death, we now receive justification. We receive forgiveness of sins. We are now reconciled to God. How can that be? How can the death of one man reconcile us as a people to God? How, how is that possible? And then he gets into this illustration, this type of. Talking about Adam and talking about Christ and grounding the justification of Christ in Adam. Okay? But in a different way. There's a contrast. There's a comparison between Christ and Adam and at the same time, a contrast. Okay? So the question that Romans 5.12-21 is seeking to answer, or at least in the context there, is how can Christ's death achieve reconciliation and justification for many people? for the church, for God's people. How is that How is that possible? Okay, so the main idea in 12, verses 12 to 21, is a comparison. I think we can agree on that much reading through the text. Comparison of Adam and Christ. Things that are similar, things that are different. Now, this comparison begins in verse 12. And verse 12 is is on its own. You can see there on the page, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin, and, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then he, he doesn't finish his comparison. He begins verse 12 by saying, therefore, just as... And begins to talk about Adam and his sin, but he never gets to the, the, the end of that. He never gets to the Christ being the similarity. He doesn't do that all the way down to verse 18. And in verse 18, he repeats the idea of verse 12. He says, therefore... As one trespass in verse 18 led to condemnation for all men. Okay, there's Adam's sin coming into the world. As one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So, here's the finishing contrast. So, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Okay, that's the comparison he draws here. Now, in verse 12, he doesn't complete the comparison because in verse 12, he gets to the end of verse 12, and we have an extended parenthesis, not really a parenthesis, but an extended discussion on what he means by that last phrase in verse 12. Because in verse 12, he ends with this phrase, because all sinned. And then he has a and an explanatory for. What does he mean by all sin? And he begins to explain what we mean by all sin. And then at the end of verse Number 14, you have that underline. It says, a type of the one who was to come. And that brings us to verse 15 down through verse 17 as he compares Adam and Christ and Adam being a type of the one who was to come. And then he gets back to his main point in verse 18. One trespass leads to the condemnation of all men. One act of righteousness leads to the justification of life for all men. There's the ground, there's the answer to how Christ's death can justify many. Just as... Sin came in this world, and condemnation through one man's sin, so righteousness, justification, life, comes through one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the comparison he's drawing. Now, I want to go back up to verse 12. Back up to verse 12 and read that verse 12 again. We're going to walk through this passage from the top now that we understand the main point that Paul is getting at, under the inspiration of the Spirit, to, to deal with this thought of how can christ justify many okay verse 12 says therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned okay so as we as we read this verse this verse has proven difficult uh, and and there's many different views about this verse but there's two major ones the first one that I'm going to talk about is, is a view that I, I don't think is correct, and I, and I want to show you why I don't think it's correct. The first view is something like this. When it says here, because all sinned, it's talking about how sin came into the world through Adam. And then through Adam, death and sin spread to his progeny. Those who have been born in the likeness of Adam now inherit a sinful nature. And because they've inherited Adam's sinful nature, whenever they sin, they are now going to die. They're now going to suffer the ill effects of sin. They're now going to face God's condemnation. Now, you might be listening to that and say, what's wrong with that? That sounds exactly like what I believe. Okay, but what I want to show you is this is not quite what this text is teaching here in verse number 12. Okay? It doesn't doesn't go far enough. Um, So what verse number 12 is telling us here is that all sinned and all die because of sin. Now, is it because of our own sin that we reap death and that we reap condemnation? Because we've inherited sinful nature, now when we exercise that sinful nature, when we choose sin ourselves, now we reap death and condemnation because of that. Okay, that's one way to look at this verse. But I want to show you from this text why, why I don't think that's what verse 12 is teaching here. Let's look at verse number 15. Verse number 15, it says this, many died through one man's trespass. Okay, Many died through one man's trespass. Death came upon many because of Adam's sin. Now, verse 16. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. One trespass brought judgment and brought condemnation. Verse 17. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Okay? And then verse number 18. One trespass led to the condemnation for all men. In verse 19, one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Okay, so the passage is quite clear. Death, condemnation, guilt came to all because of Adam's sin. Okay, that's an important point to remember here. Death and condemnation come to all, not because we commit the same sin as Adam did, but because we inherit, um, and we'll, we'll get, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but but Adam's sin affects us all in terms of its condemnation, in terms of its result of death. Okay, and he explains that in verse 13 and 14. Okay, because look at verse 13 and 14 has he explains because all sin how did we all sin how do we all reap this condemnation in verse 13 he says for an explanation for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given but sin is not counted where there is no law yet death reigned from adam to moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of adam who was a type of the one who was to come. So what he's saying here is that Adam was given a commandment. Don't eat of the tree in the midst of the garden because the day of you eat of it, you will surely die. That was a law given to Adam. He was expected to obey that and he disobeyed that. And that was his sin. Now, he says the time of Adam, the time of Moses, there was no law given of God because Moses brought the law, the old covenant. But he goes, see, in that time period, even though there was not a law like Adam in terms of don't eat of that tree in the middle of the garden, there was not a law like the Mosaic law. People still died. They were still being judged because they still were sinners. And so even though there was no law and sin is not counted where there's no law, they have inherited sin and condemnation and death because of Adam's one sin. That's his point here in verse 13, that these people died condemnation because of Adam's sin. Now, he mentions at the end of verse 14 that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Okay, and we'll get to that just in a moment. But what we must realize here is that death is not natural. Okay, death is a result of sin. You know, death is a result of sin. And, and this passage is saying death is a result of Adam's Sin because death spread to all men because of Adam's transgression. Okay? So we can't say, because of what it says in verse 13 and 14, that we've inherited just a sinful nature from Adam, and then when we exercise that sinful nature, then we reap condemnation and we reap death because of it. Because Paul's argument in verse 13 is there was no law, and they were still dying. They were still sinners. And that shows you that they were condemned because of Adam's sin. Okay, and so that is the, the correct way to see verse number 12 when he says that death spread to all men because all sinned. What he's referring to here is that there is a union between us and human beings and Adam, such that when Adam sinned, we all sinned, such that we all receive condemnation, we all inherit guilt and death because of Adam's sin. Okay? And that comes out as we read verses 13 and 14. At the end of verse number 14, he says that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Okay? Here, speaking of Christ. And then he explains this in verses 15 and 17. Let's look at these verses. Okay? Adam was a type of the one who was to come. And again, he's talking about how can we inherit righteousness from Christ... And he's drawing a parallel to how we've inherited guilt from Adam. Because Adam was a type of the one who was to come. There's a similar representation of Adam and Christ. And he says in verse 15, but... Okay, he wants to make a clarification. This type is not parallel in all of its ways. There's a difference in this type. But, he says, the free gift is not like the trespass. So here's one way in which Christ is not like Adam. The free gift is not like the trespass for... What does he mean? For if many died through one man's trespass, talking about Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Okay, so the free gift is not like the trespass. Trespass about condemnation. Christ's free gift brought reconciliation and life. And then verse 16, another contrast about Adam being a type of Christ. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. Okay, another example where Christ is not like Adam. For, he's explaining himself now, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For... If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Okay, so how is Adam like a type of Christ? How is he a type of the one who's to come? We are all sinners in Adam because we are represented by Adam. we're, We're in union with Adam. Okay, we're descendants of Adam, not just physically, but also spiritually, where we have sin and guilt imputed to us. We inherit not only a sinful nature from Adam, but we inherit guilt. We inherit condemnation. We inherit death from Adam. And that is how Adam is like a type of Christ. Because at, by Adam's sin, the many were made guilty. And then by Christ's one act of obedience, the many were made righteous. Okay. The same thing is going on. We are either Adams or Adam is either our representative. We're either in union with Adam or we are in union with, union with Christ and Christ is our representative. And so it's through this idea of representation that sin has passed to all of mankind, not just its effect, not just its nature, but also its guilt and its condemnation and its judgment of death. Okay, some have in the past uh, had some weird ideas about how did we all sin, and they suggested that you know in the loins of Adam the, the whole human race was there as un, un, unindividualized people, and so we, we were complicit in the sin, or this talk about how the seed of Adam um, passes down this guilt and the sin, and we actually it's a hereditary trait, and because Christ was born a virgin, he did not inherit that sinful nature, and none of those things are in scripture. But what scripture says is that sin. And its condemnation and its effect is actually imputed to us by God. Imputed to us because of the curse. Imputed to us because Adam is our representative as a human race. And he functions here as a type of Christ. Adam is obviously the first Adam. No one came before him. In 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is called the last Adam. He's also called the second Adam. So there is Adam, there is no one between him, and then we have Christ. The second Adam, again, no representatives in between, and the last Adam, no representatives after. We're either in Adam or we're in Christ, which is what Paul's argument here is in Romans. When he talks about being in Christ, he talks about being in union with Christ, having Christ as your representative, being justified. Okay, we are... In union, Christ is our representative. He's our covenant head. He's the one who has died in our place, on our behalf, and he represents us before the Father. So either Adam is a representative, and through Adam we receive condemnation, or Christ is a representative, and through him we receive justification. Okay? And that's what he's getting at, and that's why he gets to verse 18 and says, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men... That is, Adam's sin led to uh, condemnation for everyone through one sin. So one act of righteousness, our Lord and Savior, leads to justification and life for all men. Okay? Now, for those who would contend, it doesn't sound very fair that Adam's sin would be imputed to us or his guilt would be imputed to us they interpret verse 12 as saying that death spread to all men because all sin in that we've inherited sinful nature. And so when we sin, then we receive condemnation. Then we receive death because we are the party that is sinning. The whole problem with that is it rips the heart out of this passage. The whole reason why Adam here is used as an example is that Christ can be our representative and we can receive justification through him vicariously. If we stand or fall based on our own sin, in terms of, you know, you were going to inherit Adam's condemnation or not based on our own actions, well, Paul's analogy here is going to break down. And actually, Paul's analogy would then be, well, we're going to stand and fall before God based on our own actions. Because how can Christ serve as our representative? And so the whole point of this passage is that Christ can serve as our representative. We can be justified vicariously through his death because we have been um, represented here by Adam and we've received condemnation and guilt and death through that one man's action. That's the whole point of the passage. Okay, this is a good news passage, not not a bad news passage. All right, we don't stand and fall on our sin alone, but rather we are represented... By Adam or by Christ. And that's the point of this text. Now, in verse 18, it mentions all men. It says, one trespass led to the condemnation for all men. And then it says, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. Okay, what is he talking about there? If, if Adam's sin affected every single person, then certainly Christ's death affects every single person. And so therefore, we have universalism. But we know the Bible doesn't teach that. So what does this mean then? Okay it seems much um, because the Bible doesn't teach universalism, that is everyone's going to be saved, it seems much better as we look at this text, as those who have Adam as their representative, all men who have Adam as their representative are going to reap condemnation and death, and those who are represented by Christ are going to have justification and life. That is, for all in Adam, they will die in their sin. For all in Christ. They will live and be justified. And that's what verse 19 says. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And who are the many to be made righteous? Go back to verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Okay, not universalism. Those who receive the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, coming to Him, repentance and faith, will receive justification, forgiveness of sins. Okay, now you can turn to the back half of that page. We've hopefully answered some questions about that text. Now I want to look at and just reiterate some of the truths that we saw in that text. Okay, so what do we inherit from Adam? Okay, what do we inherit from Adam? It's not just sinful nature, not just a death sentence, but imputed guilt. Okay, we receive guilt imputed to us because of Adam's sin, inherited guilt, as well as an inherited sinful nature. Okay, I mentioned before how some object this is not fair. We have text in Scripture uh, like Deuteronomy twenty four sixteen, it's written on your page. It says, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. So how do we respond to a, a text like that? That seems to say, no, the, the son cannot bear the weight of the sin of the father. Okay, so th- three things by way of response. First, this law is speaking of civil law. Okay, this is in the context of giving civil law. What I mean by that is, it is wrong if a father commits a sin and you throw the son in jail. Okay, we understand that, that's, that's injustice. That's not right. And that's what this is talking about. The, the children of a criminal are not going to serve a death sentence or serve the time in jail that their father um, committed in terms of a crime. But this is not the same as imputed sin by a representative Speaking about Adam and, and then speaking about Christ. The second thing it says certain sins in the covenant dealings of God with His people have greater significance than others. For example, I have two examples. The first is Achan. Remember Achan uh, when the people of Israel and he went in and they destroyed a city and he took some of the some of the um, you know the treasure for himself and he hid it and then because of that. Uh, what did God say? Israel has sinned. The nation has sinned. And so this one man is a curse and his whole family is actually slaughtered because of his sin. So we see that the sin in this case affected the whole nation. We also have the example of Phineas. If remember Phineas, there was a plague that was affecting the people of Israel and 24,000 people died because of this plague. And it was because of one man's sin who brought in a Midianite woman into his own household. 24,000 people died, and then Phineas runs them both through with a spear to end the plague. So certain sins in God's covenant dealings with his people have greater significance. And certainly the sin of Adam in the garden, not, not his subsequent sins, but that sin, that one sin, where he disobeyed the word of God and ate from that fruit, had drastic consequences. The third, and most importantly, it says this, If we deny Adam's representation and the imputation of sin, guilt, and death on the grounds that it is unfair, consistency demand that we deny Christ's representation and the imputation of righteousness, justification, and life. This text talks about how we receive vicariously through the representation of Christ's life and justification and righteousness. This is an imputed righteousness. This is a legal declaration of justification. This is a gracious gift of life. We didn't earn it. We didn't merit it. We didn't die on the cross for our sin. We didn't do what was pleasing to the Father in every respect. We didn't obey the law, but rather we received Christ's gracious gift because he is our representative. And so if Adam's imputation of guilt is unfair, then Christ's imputation of righteousness is unfair. Now, I don't hear too many Christians complaining about Christ's imputation. Of life of righteousness and justification we don 't like adam 's imputation because that that 's bad news, but really the bad, really the bad news is good news because God set it up in such a way that Adam represented humanity. now we can have a savior in the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the type of the one who was to come, and so now we have god 's plan of salvation able to be executed because of his wisdom in both the imputation of guilt and the imputation of righteousness okay this is very important very important truth so why is this important let's look at four things why this doctrine is so important the imputation not only of or the inheritance not only simple nature but the imputation of adam's sin in its guilt and condemnation okay why is this important firstly adam must be an historical person okay this is an important doctrine not just from Romans 5 point of view, but also from the account in Genesis. If Adam is a mythical person, if Adam is just a a creative form of poetry, a figure of speech from Genesis 1 and 2, then we don't have a gospel. We don't have imputation of life, of justification and righteousness. Because the very basis of that imputation is the very basis by which Adam represented us in the garden. And if Adam was a myth then Christ's death and this theology here has no bearing. We, we completely rip out the heart of the gospel. And this is why the creation account is so important. It's not just a secondary issue. The creation account is a doctrine of primary importance. Okay, The Bible rises and or falls based on those first few chapters of Genesis. Now, number two. Why else is doctrine so important? When angels sinned, they sin with no representative. Okay, why is the imputation of Adam's sin so important? Because when angels sin, they sin with no representative. They had no covenant head. They had no federal headship. They had no representative in Adam in the garden. So therefore, they have no Savior. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 2. It says, for surely it is not angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Because the angels had no representative in Adam, they can have no savior like Christ. And so the angels, you know, if you want that not fair argument, Well, the angels have that not fair argument. They're going to stand and fall based on their own actions. And those angels that have fallen, those angels that have chosen to follow Satan, are doomed forever. No hope of salvation. They have no representative. They have no savior. There's no imputation. They are judged on their own merits. And it says a third of them are going to be cast into the lake of fire. They are going to perish under God's righteous judgment. That's why this doctrine is so important. The third thing why this doctrine is so important. Okay? This one I'm sure we're going to have some questions on, but there is no age of innocence. There is no age of innocence. What I mean by this? Because of the imputation of Adam's sin, we are all born guilty. Okay? Tonight I'm not going to get into a whole theology of, of infants and their salvation, whether infants or those who die in infancy or those who die as unborn children, whether they automatically go to heaven or not. But what... Why I'm mentioning this in point number three, there is no age of innocence. We must, no matter where we come down on that discussion, we must realize and believe that infants to go to heaven must be covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no age of innocence. There is no time where someone is innocent and if they die in innocence, they'll automatically go to heaven because of the imputation of Adam's sin. And Adam's guilt, we've inherited condemnation. The only way anyone can go to heaven, infant or not, is covered by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can infants be saved? Of course. Of course. But they must be covered by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only reason that anybody is in heaven, any person, any individual is in heaven, is because Jesus Christ has died in their place. No other reason. That is the grounding, the basis of our salvation. This imputation of righteousness, justification, and life because of Christ's death. Okay. Fourthly, why else is there this important? Uh, I just want to mention first that third point. Um, why this is important? Because this this text talks about how even infants die. And so why would an infant die if they're innocent? And that's what Paul's argument is in, in verse 13 here. Um, people died. Infants died between the time of Adam and the time of Moses. There was no law. They didn't break the law. Yet they died. Why they die? Because sin was imputed to them. Okay? And if we're going to experience eternal life, it must come through the imputation of Christ's righteousness. All right, number four. Number four. Why is this so important? Because Adam's act is not necessarily the final determiner Of our outcome. Okay, Adam's act is not necessarily the final determiner of our outcome. If we fell by a representative, if we've received imputation by a representative, a guilty verdict, condemnation, we can also receive a not guilty verdict, a righteous, a justification through a representative. And so since God placed on our account alien guilt from Adam, he can place on our account alien righteousness in Christ. Without one, there is not the other. Okay, as I mentioned before, this passage is not bad news. It's a description of why and how God can save us and how Christ's death can achieve the salvation of many. It's through his vicarious death, through representation, through imputation, which is the very heart of the gospel. Now, as a, another, another side here before we end, if, if we deny the imputation of Adam's sin, and, and, and sadly many evangelicals today deny it, um, even after it was, it was held to so tightly by the Reformers, um, even though many evangelicals say deny it, we're actually, if we deny the imputation of Adam's sin, we're actually walking a step closer to the heresies of the Roman Catholic Church. Into their false doctrine. Because they believe not in imputation. They believe in an infusion of righteousness. So we stand and fall on our own merit. So what, what did Christ achieve for us? He infuses us with righteousness. Such that we merit our own salvation. Because of righteousness that has been infused in us. And why do they believe that? Because they go to this text and they say it's the same way with Adam. We were infused with sin from Adam. And, and because we sin now. We receive condemnation. And the reformers and evangelicals throughout, throughout history who've clung to the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ have recognized the imputation of Adam's sin. And they've recognized the imputation of Christ's righteousness as the very heart and center of the gospel. So, deny an imputation of guilt, to deny imputation of Adam's sin is really to align yourself with Rome. Let's not go there. Let us rather rejoice in the gospel, affirm both the imputation of sin and guilt and affirm the imputation of righteousness and of justification and eternal life through Christ Jesus, the second and last Adam. Let's pray.